thanks to our new sponsor, Maeve, for supporting the Daily Beans. Dogs need unprocessed, high-protein, low-carb diets that kibble and fresh foods don't deliver. Make the switch to raw today. Right now, Maeve is offering $40 off your first order at meetmave.com slash dailybeans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, April 24th, 2023. Today, the Supreme Court has blocked the banning of Mifeprestone pending the full appeal. Smartmatic voting machines says it wants more than Dominion's payout with Fox, plus a public retraction. The leaked classified documents from Teixeira were shared more widely than previously known. Republicans are looking to slash veterans' benefits. And text messages reveal that Trump operatives wanted to use stolen Georgia voting data to overturn John Ossoff's Senate runoff win. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy Monday. How was your weekend? Happy Monday to you. My weekend was good. Actually, it was good. It got We skipped spring completely in Los Angeles. It went from winter to summer and it was blazing hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I'm grateful. It was just a good day. It was a good, it was a good weekend. Well, this is first summer. I'm, I'm assuming next week we'll have fourth spring. Yes, exactly. Or, sorry, fourth winter, maybe. But it could also be second spring. I mean, it kind of goes back and forth. It really does. The weather's super drunk, super drunk right now. Go home weather. You're drunk. So this is kind of cool. Today in in the the B block, instead of an interview, we're going to have a clip from Harry Littman's podcast called The Talking Feds Pod. And this clip is about whether the Department of Justice can and will or will get involved with the Clarence Thomas stuff and thoughts on whether Jack Smith will indict Trump. And if so, what the charges could be. And that's going to be with Harry Lippman, Andrew Weissman, author of the book Where Law Ends, really great guy, former Mueller top prosecutor, Katie Benner, who's an incredible reporter, and Paul Fishman. So we're going to play a little clip from that in the B block. You don't want to miss that clip and you don't want to like miss listening to the Talking Feds pod wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Dana, you're with us till when? When's your last day this week? Um, Wednesday would be the last podcast day, so I'll record with you Tuesday. Okay, cool. And then I'll wrap up Thursday and Friday yep. at the end of the week, and then we'll be dark next week, which means indictments will happen. Of course, you you will get episodes of Jack and Clean Up that week, though. Clean Up on Hour Forty Five. And speaking of Jack, Zachary Cohen over at CNN has some explosive reporting from the weekend about text messages showing how Trump allies wanted to use stolen voting data in Georgia to overturn John Ossoff's win during the Senate runoffs after the 2020 election. Oh, boy. Yeah. Andy McCabe and I cover that extensively in depth on the new episode of Jack, which is out right now, came out yesterday. So listen wherever you get your pods. Listen and subscribe. And some good news, Dana. The Minnesota legislature has passed a set of bills to bolster protections for gender affirming care and abortion and to make conversion therapy for LGBTQ minors and vulnerable adults illegal. Good. It's about time. Mm -hmm. The measure now heads to Governor Tim Waltz's desk. He is expected to sign them all. So that is very, very good news on this Monday. All right. We have some other news to get to. Some good, some not so good. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. From Barnes and Merrimo at The Post, the Supreme Court on Friday preserved full access for for now 
to a key drug that has been taken by millions of women for the past 23 years to terminate early pregnancies, its first major abortion-related decision since overturning Roe. The justices put on hold a lower court's ruling in favor of anti-abortion groups, which said the FDA was wrong to make the drug mifepristone more widely available. A legal battle over whether to permanently reimpose restrictions and whether the FDA had properly approved use of the drug more than 20 years ago will continue. That underlying appeal will be heard. As is typical in emergency actions, the majority did not explain its reasons for putting the lower court decision on hold. In the only noted dissents, which I predicted, I said, you remember when Alito gave until last Wednesday, put an emergency stay till last Wednesday for Supreme Court and then extended it to Friday? Mm -hmm. And I said, I bet he just needs a couple of days for him and Clarence Thomas to write their bullshit dissents. That's precisely what happened. (laughs) The only noted dissents, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, said they would not have granted the Biden administration's request for a stay of the decision by a panel of U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. They wouldn't have issued the stay. They didn't meet the criteria, even though the whole fucking original case doesn't meet the criteria for standing. But whatevs. (laughs) Thomas didn't explain his reasoning. Yeah, Harlan Crow didn't file his dissent. But Alito said the administration and the public would not have been harmed by agreeing with the lower court and banning Mifepristone. No one would be harmed, which wanted to reimpose restrictions loosened by the FDA in recent years. Quote, it would simply restore the circumstances that existed and that the government defended from 2000 to 2016 under three presidential administrations. That's what Alito said. He disputed that the court's intervention at the time would have sent a signal. He says, contrary to the impression that may be held by many, that disposition would not express any view on the merits of the question. This is basically, this disposition wouldn't give you a hint as to what we were going to decide on the full appeal about whether the FDA acted lawfully. And then the Fifth Circuit next month is going to review the merits of the case. Okay, this is brought by anti-abortion groups against the FDA's regulation of mifepristone a review that will be conducted by a separate and likely different three-judge panel than the one that made this initial ruling. That merits decision will almost surely be appealed to the Supreme Court, no matter the outcome, no matter who wins. But until then, the justice's Friday order says the status quo will remain in place. Mifepristone will be available under existing FDA regulations nationwide. And I want to kind of make a little clarification here. So when, if it goes back down to the Fifth Circuit, and they decide to ban Mifepristone and uphold Kaczmarek's order, and then somebody else appeals to en banc uh, at the Fifth Circuit, and then they send it back down to the Fifth Circuit, and then they appeal again to SCOTUS, and then SCOTUS has to wait for a year to hear the arguments on the case, and then they make a decision on the merit. That whole time, all that time, this stay that they ruled Friday is going to be in place. Mifepristone will be available that entire time. That's wonderful. And it's a positive out mm-hmm. of this anyway. Yes, absolutely. Now, shortly after the ruling, several abortion providers emphasized that access to Mifepristone will remain the same and said there will be no changes in the protocols as the case winds its way through the courts, that whole little thing I just described. For days, providers have been bracing for the possibility that the process for medication abortions could be completely upended. Although Alito said, no harm, there'll be no harm here. Quote, the greatest feeling right now is relief. That's Melissa Grant, chief operations officer at Carafem, which is a group of abortion clinics and telehealth services. We were poised and ready to potentially react to one of many possible outcomes, all of which potentially decreased access to what amounts to life-changing and life-saving medication for women across our country. 
But she added, we are aware that this is not the end and that there's still a great deal of concern about the future of abortion care in our country. Remember, the Supreme Court on Friday, instead of just issuing a stay and allowing the appeal to go forward, could have ruled that there was no standing in the OG opinion from Kaz Merrick. They didn't. In his four-page dissent, Alito criticized some of his colleagues for agreeing to put the lower court decisions on hold without more consideration, (laughs) singling out past opinions on that issue from Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Amy Coney Barrett. He discounted the FDA's argument that the rulings from Texas and Washington would have created chaos and expressed skepticism that the regulatory agency would not have found a way to keep mifepristone on the market. Quote, the FDA's previously invoked enforcement discretion to permit the distribution of mifeprestone in a way that uh, the regulations then in effect prohibited. And here, the government has not dispelled legitimate doubts that it would even obey an unfavorable order in these cases, much less that it would choose to take enforcement actions to which it has strong objections. And that is the little bit of his dissent that's sticking in my head. He's basically saying, hey, the government... We should have had more time to decide this. The Biden administration hasn't given us any hints that they would actually obey a negative outcome. And uh, so, you know, what the fuck? And that is so fucking... Bullshit. So douchey. It's absolutely unheard of that without evidence that a Supreme Court justice in a dissent would accuse an administration of potentially not obeying a court order. And that is fucked up. Yep, I agree. Also saying that even if we did this, the FDA is going to find their way around it, meaning being like we're going to make a decision and just teasing somehow that the FDA should somehow go around it is also absurd. Mm-hmm. Alito's a piece of shit. I, I just, I can't. I'm actually surprised, and I don't know why Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh, I don't know what their obviously arguments were. They didn't write the dissents, but I would be interested to know where they stand on this case. Yeah, we don't know if it was seven to two or five to four. Exactly. All, all we know is that there were five. Uh, votes uh, for the stay and yep. and that the public dissents came from Alito and Thomas, just as I thought they might. Yep, indeed. All right. Thank you, AG. And from Brown and Barnes at the Times, the Air National Guardsmen accused of leaking classified documents to a small group of gamers had been posting sensitive information months earlier than previously known and to a much larger chat group. And this is according to online postings reviewed by the New York Times. Now, in February of 2022, soon after the invasion of Ukraine, a user profile matching that of Airman Jack Teixeira began posting secret intelligence on the Russian war effort on a previously undisclosed chat group on Discord. And for those of you that don't know, that's a social media platform that's very popular among gamers. The chat group contained about 600 members. Yeah. Now the case against the Airman, who was 21 and arrested on April 13th, pertains to the leaking of classified documents on another Discord group of about only 50 members called Thug Shaker Central. (laughs) Yeah. There, he began posting sensitive information in October of 2022. Members of the group told that to the Times. His job as an information technology specialist at an Air Force base in Massachusetts, well, that gave him top secret clearance. The newly discovered information posted on the larger chat group included details about Russian and Ukrainian casualties, which is a big fucking deal. Activities of Moscow's spy agencies and updates on aid being provided to Ukraine. Now, the user claimed to be posting information from the National Security Agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, and other intelligence agencies. 
The additional information raises questions about why authorities did not discover the leak sooner. And this is particularly since hundreds more people would have been able to see the posts. The exposure of some of America's most closely guarded secrets has prompted criticism about how the Pentagon and intelligence agencies protect classified data and whether their weaknesses in both vetting people for security clearances, and there are because Kushner got it, and enforcing the oh, mantra. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, he didn't. He didn't. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, they were actually like, no, no, don't give oh, okay. him that. Yeah. And Trump was like, I declare it so. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't mind being corrected live on air, especially when I think something's funny and it's wrong. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so as I was saying, um, the exposure of some of America's most closely guarded secrets, well, the criticism of how they are protected and how people get their, uh, you know, their classified data and whether there's weaknesses in both vetting and security clearances and enforcing the mantra that access to secrets should only be given to people with a, quote, need to know. Oh, yeah. Please don't argue that because then I can all I can hear is Marjorie Taylor Greene in my fucking ear. <laughs> the Times learned about the larger chat room from a Discord user. Unlike Thug Shaker Central, what? the second chat room was publicly listed on a YouTube channel. It was easily accessed in seconds. There was no protection on the ship. A chain of digital evidence collected by the Times, it ties the posts containing the sensitive information to Airman Teixeira. The posts were made under a username that the Times had previously connected to the same airman. The person leaked the information said he worked at U.S. Air Force Intelligence Unit. Details and videos and photographs he posted matched images posted by family members inside the Teixeira home in North Dighton, I believe, North Dighton, Massachusetts. Fellow Discord members sent the user birthday wishes on December 21st, the same date that Teixeira's sister wished him a happy birthday on Facebook. Ooh. Yeah, and he posts, yep, people connecting the dots, and he posted a photograph of an antique German rifle of which the Times found an online receipt from Airman Teixeira's name. It's from his name. He bought the fucking rifle. Now, the, the Airman obtained the documents that he is accused of posting online has been a key question for investigators, like how he got them. They believe he used administrator privileges connected to his information technology job to access those. Well, in his post, Teixeira said his job gave him access to material that others could not see. And he said, the job I have lets me get privileges above most intel guys. That's what he wrote. Now, Teixeira also claimed that he was actively combing classified computer networks for material on Ukraine's war. When one, or invasion, if you will. Uh, when one of the Discord users urged him not to abuse his access to classified intelligence, he replied, too late. Hmm. Just too late. This larger distribution could move these charges from Title 18 U.S. Code Section 793, espionage, to a higher charge, Section 794, which is delivering defense information to aid a foreign government. That is punishable by any term of years to life in prison, even death hmm. in this country. Yeah. And that was pointed out by Harry Littman, who you're going to hear from on the Talking Feds pod a little bit later. But yeah. And, and Pete Strzok also uh, put that out. You're kind of pushing from just the espionage, you know, 793, taking the classified shit and maybe disseminating it to, to actually if, to aid a foreign government. Yeah. Because instead of just that 50, you know, thug, whatever, chat room, <laughs> it went to like 600 people. It was easily accessed through YouTube. So, whew. And from the White House, while President Biden's budget details a plan to honor our country's sacred obligation to care for America's veterans, their families, caregivers and survivors, 
the GOP's proposal to cut a broad range of critical programs by 22 percent would threaten critical services for veterans, both at the VA and across the federal government. The proposed 22 percent budget cut to VA would threaten medical care for veterans. The proposal would mean 30 million fewer veteran outpatient appointments, 30 million, and 81,000 jobs lost across the Veterans Health Administration, leaving veterans unable to get appointments for care, including wellness visits, cancer screenings, mental health services, substance use disorder treatment, stuff like that. It would undermine access to telehealth, which is especially detrimental to veterans in rural areas who often see their doctors via telehealth. This would reduce funding necessary for the IT infrastructure and support, and it would impair VA's ability to expand video to home telehealth services. It would worsen wait times for benefits. Okay, so those first two things were the Veterans Health Administration, which are the hospitals and clinics. This is the Veterans Benefits Administration, because there's three prongs, just so you know, to the VA. There's the Veterans Health Administration, the hospitals. There's the Veterans Benefits Administration, how you get your benefits and apply for benefits and have your claim for benefits adjudicated. Okay. And then there's the National Cemetery Service for how, uh. we, how we bury our vets. But now this would worsen wait times for benefits because under the Republicans' proposal, the VBA, the Veterans Benefits Administration, would eliminate more than 6,000 staff, increasing the disability claims backlog. There's already a backlog and it would increase it by about 134,000 claims. Your wait time to get your claim adjudicated would go from about a month to about seven months. Oh, wow. And that would force veterans and their surviving loved ones to wait for their benefits that they have earned, wait for health care, including pensions, health care, life insurance, GI Bill, educational supports and employment services and home loans, any, you know, any benefits. This would also prevent construction on health care facilities. Veterans deserve to receive care in state of the art facilities, but the median VA hospital was built nearly 60 years ago compared to just 13 years ago in the private sector. This proposal would cut to up to about $600 million for major construction projects, including critical clinic upgrades to hospitals and clinics and new clinics. And of course, that negatively impacts healthcare. It would fail to honor the memory of all veterans, and the proposal would require VA's National Cemetery Administration to eliminate about 500 staff, which would jeopardize their ability to maintain the final resting place of veterans to national shrine standards, and delay the opening of five new national cemeteries that will serve nearly 1.6 million veterans and their eligible family members. So beyond the direct impact of veterans who use VA, these proposed cuts would negatively impact veterans who access critical services across the federal government. Uh, Those cuts would include housing for veterans. Every veteran deserves a home. The proposal would eliminate funding for housing choice vouchers for as many as 50,000 veterans. Wow. Which would increase veteran homelessness. It would increase food insecurity for veterans. The Republicans want to cut food assistance for veterans. That would increase the likelihood that veterans and their families go hungry. Right now, 1.3 million veterans rely on food stamps. 1.3 million. It would deprive veterans of mental health, substance use, and other health services. It would be deep cuts to the Department of Health and Human Services community mental health centers that veterans access. And with 22 veteran suicides a day, you want to decrease the Republicans want to decrease access to mental health care. It would eliminate job training and other support to homeless veterans. It would mean 4,200 fewer veterans that experience homelessness would receive job training. It would cut that for 4,200 homeless veterans across the country. So that is uh, unacceptable. It's entirely unacceptable. I don't even understand how they put bills like this forward and get any support. And they want to do this so that they can keep their tax cuts for the wealthy. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. All right, Angie. Thank you for that. And then last in this section, this is from Marshall Cohen at CNN, a top lawyer for Smartmatic, by the way, the voting technology company, as we know, whose defamation lawsuit against Fox News is still pending. Well, they said on Thursday that he will not accept any settlement smaller than $787 million Fox agreed to pay Dominion. And, and I love this, his clients need a full retraction from the right-wing network disavowing the lies it spread about the 2020 presidential election, something that did not happen in Dominion case. And this is a quote, they need to get an apology. They need to get a full retraction. Smartmatic lawyer Eric Connolly told CNN's Jake Tapper on the lead. Now, that is something Dominion Voting Systems, as I said, wasn't able to extract from Fox as part of its historic $787 million settlement, which was clinched last Tuesday as the trial was on the brink of opening statements. But in a press release, Fox publicly, quote, acknowledged that the judge in that case had concluded that all 20 on-air statements that Dominion sued over were false. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't even say we made false statements. They said, we acknowledge that the judge said we did. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Connolly said Smartmatic is, and I quote, looking to take this case through trial and wants the vindication of a jury verdict in their favor. But if there were to be an out-of-court settlement, the deal would need to include the retraction plus a payout larger than the massive sum that Dominion got. Well, this is another quote. That set down a marker, and it's a marker that we think we should be exceeding. This is from Connolly. The scope of the damage done to Smartmatic is a global scale because we operate globally. $787 million is a good start. It's not the right finishing point. He blasted Fox for perpetrating the myth that Smartmatic somehow masterminded an ability to rig a national election when we were only in one country in 2020. Los Angeles County, by the way. Adding oh, only one county. county. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I misread yeah. that too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, only one county. And again, that was just as soon as I said Los Angeles, I was like, that sentence isn't right. But adding that the level of recklessness is something you just don't normally see. I Meaning forgot about Fox that. News. Yep, just yeah. Los Angeles County. <laughs> now, Fox denies wrongdoing and is fighting the lawsuit, which is unfolding in New York state courts. Smartmatic wants $2.7 billion from Fox and other Trump allies that it named in the lawsuit. Another quote from the story, we will be ready to defend this case surrounding extremely newsworthy events when it goes to trial, likely in 2025. This is from a Fox spokesperson. That's what they said in a statement on Wednesday. Went on to say, as a report prepared by our financial experts show, Smartmatic's damages claims are implausible, disconnected from reality, and on its face intended to chill First Amendment freedoms. It is shocking they're still arguing this bullshit after this last case, by the way. I know. Now, The parties will meet face-to-face next week for a hearing in Manhattan about potential evidentiary issues in the case, with Smartmatic seeking more internal materials from Fox News itself. Hmm. And, you know, I like their whole thing, like, uh, we're going to take it through trial, we're going to get a jury verdict, we're going to force an apology, but that's exactly what Dominion said. Exactly. So, uh, although, I mean, I don't think Smartmatic has a big chunk of it owned by a private equity firm, so maybe that goes more a little bit in democracy's favor, we'll end up, we'll, we'll see. I mean, but again, this looks like a trial in 2025. So, you know, don't hold your breath. Yeah, no kidding. All right, everybody. We're going to listen to a little clip from Harry Lippman's podcast called Talking Feds right after this break. And then we'll be back with the good news. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Your dog is more than just a pet. They are a member of the family. And that's why you want to give them the very best. But how do you know what's best? The answer is Maeve Raw Food for Dogs. They use real, human-grade ingredients with no fillers, additives, or synthetics, formulated by a PhD. 
uh, several PhD veterinary nutritionists, in fact, to all meet your dog's nutritional needs. And with no prep required, I love it. It's a time saver. It's easy to give your furry friends a healthy, tasty meal, the one that they deserve. You can improve your dog's digestion, whole body health, and longevity with Maeve. M-A-E-V, Maeve. My dog's health is very important to me. I was excited to try Maeve raw food for dogs. I love how easy it is to feed Olive now. The peace of mind I have knowing that she's finally getting all the nutrition she requires. I recommend Maeve for any dog owner looking to improve their dog's overall health and well-being. Plus, Olive absolutely loves the stuff. She goes nuts for it. Maeve is protein-rich. It's raw food for dogs that delivers unprocessed, low-carb diets that fit what dogs need. Uh, Maeve reduces itching and shedding. It deals with bad breath. It can help with regular bowel movements so they have good poops. And it even maintains a healthy weight. Most dog parents see results within 28 days. So it's easy to serve, no mess, no prep, no thawing required. Over a thousand five-star reviews proves that even picky eaters love Maeve. Those are the reasons my dog Olive and I love Maeve. And you can get $40 off your first order at meetmave.com slash dailybeans. So make the switch to raw today. Right now, Maeve is offering $40 off your first order at meetmave.com slash dailybeans. Go to meetmave.com slash dailybeans, M-E-E-T-M-A-E-V, to receive $40 off your first order. Hello, Beans listeners. This is Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds. Enjoy this excerpt from our most recent episode. And if you like it, check out the link in the description to subscribe to Talking Feds. All right, let's move to someone who seems less and less Teflon uh, these days. And is there any role for DOJ to play? That would be Justice Clarence Thomas. So, you know, a lot of this stuff to date has involved Ginny, has been murky, et cetera. But these last round of revelations, I, I don't think anybody defends. But there's a lot of agitation for the department to somehow get involved. They've gotten letters from Congress from White House and Johnson, from other entities. Anything going to possibly happen here? Anything should possibly happen here? What would it even be if they were going to muck around in this pond? I mean, I think Paul and Andrew have interesting ideas about what should happen. Yeah. I'll go first. There are lots of federal public officials, lots and lots, who file financial disclosure forms. They're available to the public, of course, in many circumstances. And I certainly filed one for the seven or eight years I was U.S. attorney, and I, I may have even followed them when I was the first assistant back in the 1990s. Members of Congress and cabinet officers and sub-cabinet officers and judges. And if it weren't Clarence Thomas, if it wasn't a member of the Supreme Court, I don't even know if we'd be having this conversation, right? If this sort of information came across the desk of people like in the public integrity section of the criminal division in Washington, there would likely be at least a look by the department into what happened? Right. A file would be opened. A file might be opened. And it's what just, would the file say on it, by the way? It's a false statement. It's a thousand. It's, I mean, there may be more specific statutes, but it's a yeah. thousand and one. The basic okay. statute that we've been talking about now on every Talking Feds podcast I've been on since the pilot in like 1947. <laughs> <laughs> and you went on to greatness like all of us. Exactly. And look, the issue is, did you make a false statement within the jurisdiction of a federal agency that was material. It's what Bob Menendez basically got indicted for back in, you know, 2015 or 16 by the public integrity section. Much less, right? What was, do you remember the Menendez charge? Yeah, it was like a, it was like a $5,000 trip with his girlfriend to Paris, right? And, and there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of debate about whether that was a good case or a bad case or a hard case or an easy case. 
But somebody took a look because the question was, in part, was there some sort of quid pro quo on the other side of the Menendez stuff? Because the guy who gave him the gift, Dr. Melgen, also had a number of interests with the federal government that looked like they might have some tie to what Menendez had done. Okay, fine. You know, I don't really know whether Crow, the guy who's been giving them all this largesse over the last X number of years, has the kinds of requisite interests you would want to have for the federal government to get to, to the quid pro quo level or to the implication or the inference of a quid pro quo. But the idea that somebody left off their disclosure form, you know, a $500,000 gift, that's a lot. Twice his annual salary. Paul, you haven't done that? <laughs> that's how much Harry I get from Harry to be on the podcast. Are you, ki- are you kidding me? I need to up my fee. <laughs> We're just good friends. It's just personal hospitality. Personal hospitality. I throw in the towels. Exactly. And then look, coming back to the idea, look, you know, if if they were actually friends, we all go to people's houses for dinner, right? And sometimes people go to houses for dinner of people who actually have something to do with their jobs. I mean, prosecutors eat with defense lawyers, who, you know, defense lawyers eat with prosecutors, and maybe it's a really nice dinner and it's a filet mignon. Still, that's not going to excite people. This is different. Getting on a private plane, somebody else's private plane to go somewhere is a very different kind of look. And leaving aside the question about whether the Supreme Court should have an ethics code that prohibits something like that, you know, the fact is, this is the kind of thing that gets left off of a financial disclosure, and the Department of Justice does take a look at this kind of stuff for everybody else. And who makes the call? Well, so here, but here's an interesting question, right? So, so let's dive back into where we started this dialogue right. an hour ago, right? Which is the Department of Justice has an enormous number of cases in front of Clarence Thomas. And so I don't actually know whether this might be another situation. Andrew may have thought about this more than I have, or Katie, having looked at the regs, whether this would be a conflict of interest of some kind for the department. Now, the department has prosecuted judges before, and so it's not out of bounds for them to do that. But this is the court of last resort for the Department of Justice's most important cases in many instances. And so it does create an issue about whether it's appropriate for the attorney general to investigate one of the nine people who hears the solicitor general's appeals or whether you'd have to go again outside the department for that or so or to somebody special inside the department. Katie was saying that, Andrew, you had some views about what should happen here. Because I'm just a total killjoy. Well, I have a just reality. I mean, I agree with every single thing Paul said, but I don't think anything's going to be done within mm-hmm. the department. And just to be clear, I do think that Merrick and Lisa have both taken bold steps when necessary. So, I mean, it's not that I don't think that they have the will at times to do what's necessary. I mean, after all, they did approve the search in Mar-a-Lago. They knew that they'd be criticized for it. They knew they'd be in the center of a firestorm. And I think they both, I mean, I'm just reading from the outside that they thought that national security of the United States required it. But I don't think that that will be the view here. And even if they did, the only way to remove a Supreme Court justice is through impeachment, which is not going to happen. And so they would be moving toward a possible indictment of somebody over a thousand and one that may or may not ever materialize. For what? Well, just to be clear, I actually think that's sort of the wrong analysis, because if you thought the proof was overwhelming and it was a serious offense, you you might just say, bring the case regardless of what's going to happen to him on the bench. I don't know that a thousand and one case without a clear regulation that he violated because the Supreme Court doesn't have a clear regulation here. 
even though it might seem grotesque to the average person and it might seem totally excessive and totally ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying, I don't even think this is a strong case. So you're going to bring like a kind of weak case. Oh, separate issue. I'm just saying that the, the issue of whether he would be removed or not, I think would be a very, very separate thing because that's sure. not what the goal Right. I hear that. But I mean, like, but to bring a case that's not that strong. But if you got to the place where you had to, where if impeachment was the only option to get rid of somebody, you couldn't prosecute any federal judges. Right. Because the only way to get rid of any federal judge who has life tenure under the Constitution is an impeachment. I was just throwing in the thing about impeachment because it seems to me if when I'm watching like too much liberal television that the whole point of prosecuting people is to get rid of them. Trump, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, well, then you should impeach. But if what you want to do is make a statement about what happened, I don't know that a prosecution is the best way to make this statement. Because again, especially given the Supreme Court's rules, ethics rules for the amount of time, you know, during the during the period which he was taking these extraordinary trips is fuzzy enough. And Justice Roberts does not seem like he's inclined to discipline anybody, I don't really see what bringing a weak case would get anyone. And I don't think Roberts has the power. There's a lot of people saying, oh, it shows he's weak, but I don't think there's anything he could do. Let me say one quick thing, which is I think the, for those of people who are listening and for those of us who are a little geekier, what Katie's basically raising is a materiality question. If he lied on his form, if he was supposed to report it and didn't report it, if that's even the case, right? The argument you're making, Katie, is that it's not material because there's no federal agency to whom this made a difference, right? And that may be right. So it is interesting that we have this standard for these forms and the forms for the Supreme Court really mean effectively nothing. I hear three thumbs up for it's a more serious conduct than things that have been prosecuted, but nothing's going to happen here as a practical matter, right? I mean, I kind of would support the idea of bringing Clarence Thomas before the People's Court, though. (laughs) I would love to see that episode. So once again, we're in violent agreement. (laughs) It takes us a while because we're wordy. It's an unusual episode. Rats. We're going to, so we'll prepare more next time and really find some uh, divisions and stress lines. Can I point out one thing? I think in our last episode where we didn't agree was Jack Smith's timeline because I'd written a story saying that people were hopeful that he would prosecute as soon as this summer. I'm just saying it's April's almost gone, guys. He's got four weeks and then he hits my deadline. <laughs> so the question, Katie, when you say that, though, is prosecute whom for what, right? Then it sort of depends who's the potential target and what the charge is, right? The classified document stuff is not so complicated. The January 6th stuff is enormously more complicated, right? Exactly. So I think that the story said that they were hopeful that a decision would be made on the documents case by the summer basically June. January 6th is interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because who is to say that Trump would be the right person for Jack Smith to initially prosecute out of that? Why wouldn't it be John Eastman first? Or somebody else. In general, this whole issue of whom else, like what, maybe if Meadows takes the fifth, what happens, you know, do they give immunity? When we're talking about the timeline, that I think is the most pressing practical question. Andrew's shaking his head. See, we just found a point of disagreement. Andrew, why don't you think he would prosecute Eastman before Trump? So an unusual aspect of Jack Smith's investigation is that we haven't seen these sort of interim prosecutions that usually signal progress and flipping people and pressuring people. That's very unusual. It's also, however, very unusual because Jack Smith, for various reasons, is kind of jammed up as a time matter, as a practical matter. And so I think 
is pure speculation, but maybe educated speculation that I think that he is keeping his eye completely on Donald Trump and whether that case can be made. That doesn't mean that when he indicts Donald Trump, that he's not going to indict other people, but I don't think he's going to delay or take interim steps. I think it's going to be entirely focused given the time frame that he may feel that's where he's aiming. I also think in some ways the Trump case may be easier than the Eastman case. I'm not saying he, that Eastman won't get indicted, but I'm not sure I'd say that's the low-hanging fruit. I think, you know, Mar-a-Lago is the low-hanging fruit. That's just a, such a strong case. And, and the obstruction may be a complete rock crusher in that case. I'd be surprised if we're going to see that kind of iterative approach given where we are. If he had been appointed two years ago, I think I'd have a very different view. I'm going to call an audible on our talking five and ask instead of what we had both you, Katie, and you, Paul, and me, to give your quick thoughts to exactly that point as the first indictment out of Jack Smith's office to include Donald Trump. I think Andrew's right. It's the kind of thing that's designed traditionally to go from the bottom up or from the outside in the way we traditionally investigate and try to flip people against people higher up. I think Andrew's entirely right. I don't think Jack Smith has that kind of time. I don't think it's impossible that he would indict somebody before Trump if he decides to indict Trump also in a standalone case or in a standalone case in which he wouldn't necessarily for need leverage. that result. No, not necessarily for leverage, just because it's a case that should be brought. Right. And so we don't we don't know that. But I do agree with Andrew. He can't wait to start indicting people until April of 2024. Right. That's a problem, I think. And he's got to go faster than that. Um, having said that, you know, Boris Epstein was in this week. Yes, and so I don't think he's standing around doing nothing that Jack Smith. And he's only been there for six months, eight months. I mean, it's really sort of a remarkable thing. Yeah. And Epstein, it was interesting that it was an interview first, not a he didn't haul him into the grand jury. You kind of want to know what you're going to get first, though. So, yeah, often yeah. better for the witness because then his lawyer gets to be in the room. Right. The lawyer doesn't get to be in the room in the grand jury. So sometimes people do like that better. Yeah. And again, I think Smith has a reputation for really wanting to know what people are going to say before he decides to put them in front of a grand jury. So it's a smart caution. Yeah, I mean, I think that there would be an indictment. If the question is, would a Trump indictment come before others? I'm guessing it would come before others, if only because the case that seems to be the most straightforward, the documents case, is a case about him and his behavior, not the behavior of all these people around him coming up with some sort of huge plan, the moving parts of which he may or may not have known or directed. It's literally him saying, I don't want to give this stuff up. I'm going to lie about it, make sure I don't have to. And Smith has developed great evidence to exactly that. So I, too, agree. It kind of burns me a little because I wonder where it leaves Mark Meadows, who will probably be taking the fifth. But, yeah, it seems to me, and it has seemed this for a while, that it's both sensible and from the little bit of tea leaf reading we can do, predictable. It's a much simpler case, stronger precedent, et cetera. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news.
Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, what the heck wine, which is now, I guess I'm playing with horses. I got the Appaloosa last time. I was very proud of myself. Um, shout out to a loved one. Uh, let's see. Shout out to a, a business in your area that you want to, to promote. <laughs> shout out to a business you love in your area. Shout out. Shout out to businesses you love with whoobies in your area. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you don't know what breed they are. No, whatever you want to send to us, really. Um, mix and match. You decide. You can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Frankie. Pronouns they and them. Good news. I just had top surgery last month. Congratulations, Frankie. I handled it quietly, especially with my unsupportive mom. Mm. Hearing the Beans listeners and hosts supportive trans folks has been a bright spot in my healing process. With all the legislature against trans folks, it's good to feel loved and supported. Pet tax here is Mochi, who did not go for my tape square, but can be baited into a 3D box all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, way to hide there, Mochi. We can, oh my like, god, I don't, I don't see you at all. Oh, that's. I love so that cute. name, by the way, for a cat. Yeah. Oh well, Frankie, congratulations. That's really, really incredible. It really is awesome. All right, this is from Mary. Pronouns she and her. Hi, Dana and Angie. Thanks again for everything you do. My good news is that my husband and I participated in an Earth Day cleanup in our neighborhood on Saturday, April twenty second. Uh oh! I hope there was no charismatic mega plastics involved. Oh boy, we got to meet some. Oh my god, I hope there were. <laughs> we got to meet some of our neighbors and people who organized this cleanup had coffee, water, tea, snacks for the volunteers. The weather was cool and overcast. Overall, a nice day to be out and about. Our group of volunteers included some members of the wrestling team for one of our local universities. They certainly came in handy when it came to moving some of the larger objects we found. Our streets abuts conversation land. That can't be right. What do you think that says? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can we leave that <laughs> no none of those words <laughs> our, our streets of butts conversation land it's so laughing. <laughs> oh my god leave it in there i'm crying right now <laughs> shit you guys okay uh, you have to all uh, streets of butts cons first i can't even say it wrong oh my god you can't even say you. it right i love you Oh my God. Is a butts the right word? A butts? Yeah, a butts. Okay. It's like right up next to. Okay. Right? So this is what this actually says if you're listening. Our street abuts conser- conservation land. <laughs> God. Oh my God. Okay. Our street abuts conservation land. I'm crying. Okay. So we spent the morning focusing on cleaning up as much of that. I, I was like, that is not what that says. Cleaning up as much of the area as we could by the time noon rolled around. We had managed to fill one whole dumpster with rubbish, including old tires and oh, a car wow. engine. My husband, yeah. My husband joked that we could have assembled a whole car after all the car-related debris we pulled out of the woods. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Mary, thank you for the uh, submission. I'm sorry uh, that sometimes my brain <laughs> sees what it wants to see. Welcome to Conversation Land. Welcome to Conversation Land. It butts right up in our <laughs> neighborhood. We talk about butts in Conversation Land. <laughs> Jesus uh, yeah, uh, Mary, that's awesome. And I'm so glad you had members of the wrestling team there to help you. If you haven't heard the January 5th, 2021 episode called Charismatic Megaplastics about another trash cleanup, I highly recommend you check it out. That's why we were kind of laughing at the beginning. And then the whole thing just sort of fell apart. From oh, there. my God. All right. Next up from Heather. No pronouns. Hi, you are all doing the best job of keeping me informed without panic. My profession 
is what keeps me sane. And I just wanted to share a cute pic of Thomas. I groomed him on my birthday. The word groomer has been thrown around a lot as of late. So I want to put some better vibes out there. Love your whole network. Cheers. And look at this little baby. Oh. With the bib and oh, my ovaries. Dog groomer must be such a fun job. So cute. Even the little, right. even the baby animals make me want babies. Uh, I know they're so cute. Oh my god! All right, thank you so much for that. This is from Dinosaur Dave, your upside down mate. Pronounce he and him. Morning from down under. Lovely Sheila's of the beans. I have a humdinger of a story for you. Okay, I'll drop that over the top Aussie stuff for now. (laughs) (laughs) What feels like years ago, around November of 2022, (laughs) I left the Bird app for Mastodon. I have found it the most welcoming and friendly place once you get your head around the basic premise of it. It's been brilliant for my mental health and overall happiness. AG, don't you have an account on Mastodon? I do. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't yet, but I may be going over there. I joined a dinosaur-themed server because I am working on a Lego natural history book called The Natural Brick Story of Australia. I have over two dozen Lego builds that will not only help educate kids in the history of life down here, the book will also include full instructions on part lists so kids can build the animals themselves. Hmm. Yeah, no idea when it will be finished, but I will have a Kickstarter at some point once I have finalized all the builds. The followers I have now, over 600, have easily eclipsed what I had on the Bird app. That was only less than 150. And now every week I post a mini build of an extinct animal and a guess that Lego fossil. Both have instructions and information on the critter. It's become a fun weekly ritual. I've attached a Lego fossil to this to see if you can guess it. I've also attached an image of the mini prehistoric animal builds. White background on that picture. Most of them will fit in the palm of your hand. The larger image is of all the different builds of the history book. Each base plate that is a different color is a different scale. The picture of the base plate represents about a 1.8 meter tall person. They are also all Australian critters, extinct and extant. What does extant mean? I, I don't know. Okay, maybe I'll have to find that out. Uh, the answer to the guess, that fossil is, uh, wow, Parasaurolophus. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. That model was designed by a brilliant designer called S7 Even DE, which I guess is the, the designer's name. There's so many things in here, I don't know what I'm saying. I have over 100 different Lego fossils built and on display at home, and I'm slowly going through them for guess that Lego fossil. If you want to join in the fun, you know where to find me. It's at the Dinosaur Dave at Sauropods. So S-A-U-R-O pods dot win. So it's at the Dinosaur Dave at Sauropods dot win. Love the podcast and cannot wait for more. Look at these. Oh, my gosh. Okay, first of all, I love all of these. And then if we're going to play a what the mutt with the dinosaur with that one single skeletal build, I would guess... Uh, Sarah, Sarah Tesaurus, but uh, it's it, it kind of looks like a T Rex with with a unicorn. What, what the hell is a Ceratosaurus? I feel like that's not even a real dinosaur. <laughs> I'm just making shit up. Yeah, it's a it's a conversation saurus, and right. it abuts my street. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I that's my it's it's like a T Rex with a horn, basically, like Got a it. like a big thing. Like it kind of looks like a rhinoceros, sort of. All right. 
But I don't know. Let me know. Uh, there's no answer here. So you'll have to. Dave, this is really impressive, though. They are. These are so cool. Look, I love the pterodactyl. Oh, my God. <laughs> so cool. All right. I'm going to take the next two because they're relatively short. From Mimi in New York City, pronouns she and they. Hello, lovely Leguminati. Dana, in case you didn't know, antediluvian is a fancy way to say before the flood, as in Noah's Ark biblical flood, as in old, ancient, and outdated, and something God wanted to get rid of? Question mark. <laughs> I've started every Monday through Friday with the beans listeners since the kitchen table days. Woot woot. For pet tax, here's 16-year-old Jakey boy Marmaduke Kitty. Uh, he's battling kidney disease on meds oh. for seizures, but loving life, craving affection, and doing cat things. I love tuxedos, and I love this little baby boy. Indeed. Thank you for sharing. And from Katie, pronouns she and her. Hi, hello. Sometime back in late 2022, you mentioned a cake shop in Chula Vista called Mmm Cakes that was getting blasted with hate group protests, so I decided to buy a cake from them for my daughter's second birthday. And it was lovely, a really lovely experience, a beautiful winter cake design with her favorite lemon flavor inside. They were really kind and helped me out so much. I just wanted to send some pictures and some love to Mmm Cakes, M-M-M Cakes. And thank you for shining a light on their business so I could show them some love. Thanks for everything that you do. Look at this beautiful cake. Two gingerbread houses. Happy birthday, Olivia, with the number two. So sweet. People are so, people's talents blow my mind. In cakes, especially when there's a cake well done or if they like are built to look like other things. Incredible. Now, here's a fun thing you can do as well. If you have somebody who's turning, a friend who's turning 22, 32, 42, 52, et cetera, you can buy a card for a two-year-old or, you know, 53, 63, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and just write the decade number in front of it. And then you have a fun card, like chug, chug, choo, choo, guess who's 52? It's, it's, it's usually what I do for my friends. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Anyway. Oh my God. I'm just looking over the next submission and there's words I'm going to fuck up just so you guys know. Okay, here we go. This is from Big Jim Lovegren. His pronouns are he and him. In your Put Men in Rice episode, I shared your amusement at Mike Lindell's costly attempt to gain attention for his work. And I couldn't help thinking of Albert Camus's third... Camus? Want help? Yeah. Camus. Thank you. Albert Camus. Always want help. Albert Camus, third footnote in his book, The Myth of Syphilis. That's not so. <laughs> I think H.C. fell out chair. I am crying right now. I'm not- <laughs> if you're not laughing at home, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> The myth of Sisyphus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> By the way, that silence was nothing wrong with the recording. Neither of us could breathe. AG fell out of her chair. <laughs> oh my God, I'm crying. Albert Camus, third footnote in his book, The Myth of Sisyphus. And there's probably a myth about a myth about syphilis, too. You have to push a rock up a hill to get rid of it. Oh my God. Okay. Mm. Here's a, here's a quote. I've heard of an emulate, emulate, emulator of what, who is that? Peregrinos? Mm -hmm. Okay. Emulator Peregrinos, a post-war writer who after finished Jesus, having finished his first book, committed suicide to attract attention to his work. That is, he really went to extremes. Attention uh, was in fact attracted, but the book was judged no good. And that was a quote. I confess that I find the circumstances of the demise of these individuals humorous. 
but not the fact of their demise. R.I.P. That was well said, Jim. If Please, if you want to translate the last whatever I just said to the listeners, you're welcome to do it. Oh, no, that was too, that was so good. <laughs> the, the myth of syphilis. The myth of syphilis. I, uh, I almost peed my pants just now because I'm 47 and that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. You're welcome, everyone. That's the good news. <laughs> Happy Monday. <laughs> That's what it is. It's Monday. Ugh. Holy shit, balls. Okay. You're like, the myth of syphilis, that's not right. <laughs> no, that's, that can't be right. <laughs> Your reaction. And they say no when it comes out of my mouth. I'm like, something's amiss here, but yeah. uh, let me catch up and figure it out. Something's amiss with Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts? <laughs> I think I should have none. <laughs> Everybody, we'll be back tomorrow. Please send in your good news to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, and until until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. Take care, everyone with you. <laughs> I've been H. Oh, God, and I've been DG. Them sipping. I You dropped out of the screen so fast. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch.
you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.